If you want this podcast free of ads, follow us now on patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What in the world is happening on Wall Street? Economic indicators. Who knows where this is going to end up? To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. How are you doing there? It is podcast time. Hope all is cruising, going well in your world. John, what's rocking your world? <sighs> world is is rocking away and I'm rocking with it. Cool, cool. Well, that's that's uh, I like that sort of go with the flow mentality. It's always good. Uh, do you remember last Tuesday? On Tuesday, we were talking about Inflation. Yes. Yes. Continue. I think we're going to continue that. We're going to go straight into it. It's the big story at the minute. It is the big story at the minute. And And the big worry. It's a big worry, but it also brings in issues of the state, of money, of chaos, of breakdown, of economics, of fundamentals, all those sort of things. Yeah. And of course, what we were saying on Tuesday was that one of the areas that has grown dramatically in interest and in reality in the last couple of years is the area of cryptocurrency. And of course, the yeah. king of the cryptos is Bitcoin. Yeah. And we're going to have a conversation with a fella who came to Kilconomics many years ago, said to me, this thing is going to go through the roof. Many things were said to me that weekend. <laughs> I forgot most of them. Okay, as always is the case, right? I can hardly remember what happened yesterday. But, 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 but he was right. On Bitcoin, a guy called Max Kaiser. Yes. He's one of the early adopters of the Bitcoin game. I know you find this stuff fascinating. I know you find it, like me, kind of perplexing, actually. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm real kind of, I haven't made up my mind on Bitcoin, where it's going and, and how real is it. Well, you know what? And how much of a fad it is. Yeah. Is, is it a fraud? Is it real? Yeah. Is it permanent? Is it transitory? Now, I haven't bought something? any yet. Well, listen, we might get a Bitcoin wallet for the show, right? Actually, that's and not a bad get idea. Get a Bitcoin wallet for the show and see how we go. Yeah. See how we go. But uh, it is up at $62,000 per Bitcoin, which is a huge yeah, increase. Yeah, it's kind of quadrupled, at least quadrupled in the last year. Why don't year? you and I stop mouthing on and talk <laughs> yeah, to somebody who knows about idea, it? Good idea, okay? Good idea. Let's go to the States. Let's talk to Max Kaiser. It's a pleasure now to have an old friend, a guy I've known for over a decade, Maximilian, Max Kaiser. And I'll give you a bit of backstory. 
when we first started Kilconomics ages ago, and unfortunately we were supposed to be doing it next month, but the restrictions are still here, so we can't do that. And it looks as if the restrictions aren't going to be lifted for quite some time here, in particularly in the last couple of weeks, getting some info. But Max turns up with Stacy. Stacy, are you there? Is she yeah, there? Yeah, she's yes. here. Yeah, she's here, of Va- course. Max turns up with Stacy, and we just had a, a hoot. And I think, were, were you five times Kilconomics? Yeah, I think I went to Kilconomics five times. You know, in 2011, the first year I went was, was really uh, Europe, was uh, reeling from the economic crisis, the uh, 2008 meltdown. And that was a hot topic. And um, the audience was very young, as I recall, and they were looking for answers, you know, because they're the next generation. And you guys uh, really, you know, got a lot of folks in there to talk about it. And uh, that, that was a great time. Yeah. And at that time, Max said to me, McWilliams, there's a thing called Bitcoin. What do you know about it? And I was around that too. I said, I don't know anything. You said, you said, this is the future. This is going to take off. This is going to be the answer to a lot of these issues that you guys are talking about. And I said, yeah, that's fascinating. Did nothing about it. Max, on the other hand, predicted it would take off. It has taken off. He's been spot on. He's been at the vanguard of the Bitcoin movement. I see now Bitcoin is worth, is it $60,000 today? Yeah, it's uh, it got over sixty two thousand, so it's about to break through its all time high, and um, it's looking extremely, extremely good uh, to to make a move uh, much, much higher because of all the fundamentals in play that are driving Bitcoin adoption, and uh, pretty much everything people have been saying, myself included, is coming to pass. So let's let's talk about that. Okay, let's talk about the fundamentals that are you know that you saw back. Five, six, seven years ago, you said, look, David, this is going to happen. All the stuff you guys are talking about, Kilconomics, the implication is that crypto is going to take off. Remind me of all that again, because you were spot on. Well, when I first heard about Bitcoin in 2011, and when it was a dollar, uh, we had a guest on our show talking about it. And I actually had a background in digital currencies. I have a patent on a digital currency. So I knew something that a lot of people didn't know, and that is that People will treat virtual currencies like any other form of currency, whether it's a fiat money like the dollar or gold. In other words, and there were some environments at that time like Second Life and other virtual gaming platforms that had digital currencies and virtual currencies. And very quickly, you saw economies develop and, and, and people are very quick to adopt oh, something as a currency. And this has been true throughout history. There have been a number of different things used as currencies, used as money. Uh, and, and so when I heard about Bitcoin in 2011, I knew the first thing I knew was that this could be widely adopted, number, number one. Number two, it, I, I also quickly figured out that it solves a, a huge problem. When, when I created my virtual currency back in 1996, it was still basically a centralized currency. It was centrally managed, centrally uh, produced. And that's a, that's a bit of a problem in terms if you want to see wide-scale adoption, because then the people using it have to trust the central authority that's issuing and managing that currency. Mm-hmm. With Bitcoin, uniquely and quite stunningly in terms of how this technology works, it's completely decentralized. So there is no center. It's it comes into existence and is managed by a network of thousands, tens of thousands of computers that all have copies of the protocol and are all 
uh, working simultaneously to keep the protocol up and running. And it's decentralized in this way. And this means a couple of key things. Number one, it's impossible to take down. Uh, Number two, it's the first form of money now that we've seen out of a centralized authority. So that would include the state. Mm-hmm. So it's the first form of money that separates state from money. And that has wide scale implications that we're seeing playing out now in places like El Salvador, Nigeria, uh, and elsewhere. And it's also unconfiscatable because the, the encryption that protects it is unhackable. Nobody can stop it, uh, which means that communities that have been suffering from colonial interests or from, let's say, racist, uh, institutional racism, you know, in America, the black community has always been subjected to institutional racism. I said back in 2011 that here's something the black community can adopt and have for the first time the ability to accumulate unconfiscatable wealth. And sure enough, the biggest user in the United States of Bitcoin is the black community. It has the highest penetration of any community is the black community. I didn't know Because didn't it does give the black community for the first time the ability to uh, create and manage wealth that's unconfiscatable. And Time Magazine just did a story this past week featuring that very story of the black community sees this as the ultimate emancipation. But everyone should see it as the ultimate emancipation because fiat money is, you know, the money of slavery, essentially. Uh, gold is highly problematic. The state is a dying institution. And uh, all all arrows, all fingers, everything points to Bitcoin. And so we're we're just at the beginning of this, you know, David. We, we we could we're talking about price levels being achieved that are quite a bit higher from where we are now. I'm going to come back to I'm going to come back to all that that the idea with the state because I mean one of the, one of the big things is, is is Max is the the state ain't going to let the control of money pass without a massive fight because as you and I know you know the state and money have been tied at the hip since the Lydians, a long, long time ago, and maybe even before that. But we, I'm going to park that, I want to come back to it, because I do find that fascinating, the state versus the sovereign, the state versus the individual, all these ideas. But tell me about Bitcoin now, because I have, you know, I follow it in the sense, Max, when it's in the news, I hear it's gone up by this, gone down. What's, this, what's the state of play right now? Well, in the last, uh, yeah, we'll get, get back to why states will not ban Bitcoin. And we'll, we will return to that point in a moment. Uh, but yeah, Parapasu with that point would be what we just saw in China. So China, of course, is a highly centralized authoritarian regime. They decided that they didn't want Bitcoin miners in China. They want to roll out their central bank digital currency. So they shut the mining down, the, the, the process, uh, you know, the key aspect of the, of the protocol. Now, what happened is that immediately the infrastructure required just moved out of China and it went to Texas and it went to Kazakhstan. And, you know, imagine moving uh, gold mines or silver mines out of Mexico in 24 hours and just relocating the entire mine in a a different part of the world. Of course, that's impossible. But with Bitcoin, because it's this movable feast, uh, it happened quite quickly. And... um, so what we saw in the last 12 months was a great, great test of what would happen if China suddenly banned Bitcoin. You know, a lot of people were spreading that what we call fear, uncertainty and doubt or FUD for short around. And uh, so we had that actual actually take place. China banned 
Bitcoin. And what happened is that the network got more decentralized. It got stronger. The hash rate, which is the computational power, you know, numerically represented in terms of what it takes to run the network, took a 50 to 55 percent hit. It's now almost back to new all time high. The price is totally recovered. So it it showed that Bitcoin is bigger than any state, I think is a fair statement. It's bigger than than China's ability to shut it down. And, you know, Stacey and I were watching a show a couple of weeks ago called Engineering Empires. And they made an interesting story about China back in the, the Ming dynasty. The ruling class got fearful of the merchant class who ran the shipping industry. And China had this enormous global shipping presence. So they burned their treasure ships, and which was a huge mistake. And China went into uh, backwardation for centuries. Yeah, no, that's uh, true. China seems to have made the same mistake again. They had the opportunity to be dominant in this emerging uh, new economic reality, but in, they chose to burn it all down. So I think that'll go down in history. Is they're one of the biggest mistakes any state has ever made. So that was one of the biggest stories of the past twelve months. Uh, the next biggest story would be El Salvador. They made Bitcoin legal tender. And immediately we're seeing incredible benefits accrue to the state of El Salvador. They just reported remittances into Sal- Salvador for the period just ended recording up $2 million. This is a, this is a 6 to $7 billion economy. They, uh, the remittances, they're set to make a billion dollars in remittance gains because the cost of transmitting Bitcoin is zero. So uh, you don't have no intermediaries like Western Union and others who take their 10 to 20% cut. They are engaging in Bitcoin mining using their virtually free volcanic energy. So they're going to put another billion dollars on the books from mining. So their GDP is probably going to turn out to be the fastest growing in the world. And the individuals are enjoying a, a sense of accumulating wealth that they've never had before with sound money, the soundest money ever. So El Salvador is and and it's encouraging other countries in the region to do exactly the same thing. Another big story would be in Nigeria. Over 35% of the country is now hyper-Bitcoinization. They use Bitcoin for for day-to-day transactions. How is Bitcoin impacting Africa? Africa is really the the big story in Bitcoin because all the colonial interests and all the warmongering and all the borders of Africa that have kept the, the whole continent from developing I've been shattered with Bitcoin. It's, it used to be almost impossible to send money from one country to another, even though they might be only five miles away because of all the intermediaries and the state interference. But with Bitcoin, you can do it instantly and nobody interferes. So now Africa's set to boom, uh, going under a Bitcoin boom, and Nigeria is becoming a Bitcoin country and it's spreading to other countries in Africa. So that's really a fantastic growth place in the world. And this is all being made possible by having Bitcoin, the soundest money ever. It's unconfiscatable, it's immutable, it's uncensorable. You know, Russia, even Russia is saying, you know, we're sick of the U.S. censoring dollar transactions by interfering in the SWIFT system and by applying sanctions. So we're just going to do an end run. We're going to use Bitcoin. So let's let's Uh, forget the sanctions. Iran is saying the same thing. Forget sanctions. We're going to use Bitcoin. They're now uh, two or three percent of the global hash rate of Bitcoin. So, so the Bitcoin is this global currency that's changing the world for the better. And that's the, th- these stories are becoming incredibly Im- important for this next generation of millennials and Gen Z that are really filling their hearts with hope that, of a better future because of Bitcoin. 
Well, I mean, it's, it, it is fascinating. You, you, you talk about the generations because it's very clear to me that the, you know, there's a massive generation gap. The older, older generation, my generation, people older are like, yeah, Bitcoin, I'm not so sure about this, right? But amongst listeners to this podcast, younger, younger folk, they're all, tell me about it. I'm interested. This is, this is a message that I'm open to. Why do you think that is? Well, I think it's pretty uh, easy to understand why the older generations are reluctant to embrace any new technology. That's true with every generation. The, the older generation, something new comes around and they're, they're reluctant to embrace it. And so uh, I don't think there's any surprise there. Uh, the younger generation, they're internet native. They were born on the internet. They were born in the digital world. They're completely comfortable living in the cyberspace. And this is the native currency of the internet. John, so, has just, John has just said, that's bollocks here. Why do you think that's bollocks, John? Because it's a terrible myth that Gen Z are tech savvy. But, uh, but, but they're more tech aware. That it, well, they, they are and they aren't. While they may use technology, they're not as tech savvy as, as they're made out to be. But, but anyway, that's, it. that's probably a minor well, point. Well, I mean, I can rebut that, you know, quite, quite easily. Um, it, it, clearly, the, the, the millennials and the Gen Z came up through an era when the global economy made this incredible transition from into the digital economy. They know very few companies in the world, you know, when you look under the hood, you know, you find that they're basically software companies. Software has transformed the global economy in every single industry we know uh, with the internet of the 90s and then with social media that came 10 years later. You have uh, two generations now that are completely living inside uh, the digital space. I think what What's being remarked upon here is that it's become completely normalized and people take it for granted. You know, people who grew up in, uh, in, in cyberspace, they don't think about it anymore. They don't, it's not a wonder. It's not like, wow, this is cool. I mean, they just accept it. Like we automatically accept the automobile. You know, we're, we don't sit around looking at the automobile all day and wondering, how does this thing work? My God. What's a combustion engine or what's this battery do? Right. We just get in our car and we go. So this this Gen Z is already completely past the wonder stage. They live it. They're living in technology. That's their life. Uh, and Bitcoin is the money that's being used by these younger generations. And it's understandable how the older generations, you know, are are a little, uh, you know, lost when it comes to understanding what's happening. But that's always the case. Uh, I think this is expressed clearly in what we see the the comparison and the contrast between bitcoin and gold right so gold is really your grandfather's store of value and 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 money you know our, our friend peter schiff is a big gold guy yeah. and he refuses to look at bitcoin his son however is, is spencer is completely fluent in bitcoin and you see the generational split right there uh, within that one family so I don't think it's correct to say that the, the Gen Z are anything but completely technologically enabled. It's similar to, let's say, a messaging app. You know, the the, the spread of Bitcoin is is really that network effect. It's the the spread no, of, uh, yeah. of, no, of it's, a. It's, it's not it's not yeah. un, it's not unlike it's not unlike a Facebook. It's I mean these a network economics is something that most economists don't spend enough time thinking about because actually, in fact, network economics 
is what changes the world and the nodes and the networks and all that. I want to come back to this idea, Max, that the state has had this monopoly power for millennia over money. In fact, you can't you can't conceive of a state without conceiving of money. And the state is now threatened. You've mentioned in the case of China, you've mentioned the, Amer- the American sanctions, the Iranians, the Russians, whatever, all thinking, hold on a second, is this crypto world a way in which I can actually circumvent things I don't want, like sanctions? But the other thing is the state will react. It will have central bank digital currency. What do you think is going to happen in the future? As central banks issue their own digital currency, as there's all different cryptocurrencies out there, Bitcoin is one of a competing class of assets. What do you think is going to happen there? Right. Well, you mentioned a few things. So first of all, in terms of other cryptocurrency, there is no competitor to Bitcoin. There's there's Bitcoin, which is decentralized and used as money. And then the, all the other thousands of imitators and counterfeiters are centralized to some degree. So they don't compete with Bitcoin. The most popular amongst the competitors is Ether. Ether is highly centralized. And it's actually, uh, you know, there's a lot of problems with that. They have a uh, what's called a pre-mine, where the founders created, 70% of the float was, was created by the founders, which is a, which is a big problem. You know, it's, it's a fraud, actually, in my view. Uh, I know not a lot of people have this, that view, but I, I see Ether as, as a fraud. The, every single one of the others are centralized to some degree. Only Bitcoin okay. is really decentralized. So you can't really group them together. It's like, it's like grouping gold with tungsten. Right. Tungsten, it's a metal. It's heavy, but it's not gold. Nobody uses tungsten the way they use gold. Uh, As far as central banks go, the central bank digital currency is a non-starter because it's just a repeat of the current system of fiat money, which is already electronic to begin with. And it's centralized. The central bank digital currencies are just a continuation of the centralization of the central banks. Isn't the centralization what people continue to trust? And this, I suppose, is the crux of the issue that... Are we saying that the, the no Bitcoin, the, the trust is the key issue? Yeah, if yeah, I yeah. have I run a node at my house that runs a copy of the protocol, and my transactions are verified on the on the Bitcoin uh, blockchain on my node, and I trust my node. I trust the network. I don't have to go to an intermediary. I don't have to go and ask the Federal Reserve. Are, uh, do I have to trust the Federal Reserve or the or, or the European Central Bank? Not, I, un- I understand what? all that, but at the moment, at the moment. Uh, the trust in currencies hasn't collapsed. And are you saying that that will collapse? This is what I'm trying to get at. Are you saying that- there Well, there's, a- there's two points. There's, there's a couple points. First of all, the idea that um, governments ban Bitcoin, as I've been saying now for a number of years, and it's, and it's proving to be true, the more likely outcome, and the outcome that we're seeing right now is not that governments ban Bitcoin, is that governments embrace Bitcoin. And it has to do with the game theory baked into the Bitcoin protocol. Governments are realizing that the path of least resistance and the most prudent thing to do is not to ban Bitcoin, but to actually start mining and hoarding Bitcoin. And now we're seeing this in countries all over the world, and we're seeing this in states within the, within the United States. How do, okay, so you're a state, you say, okay, we want to raise revenue, we want to raise taxes, la, la, la. How do you tax in Bitcoin? Well, that, it, then it gets into a broader discussion of what is, where are we at in terms of the life cycle of the nation state? I think we're at the end of the life cycle of the nation state. It's been a fairly modern invention. It's only a few hundred years old, and I think we're at the end. And uh, what what replaced the nation state now, uh, we can talk about that, but it's going to be Bitcoin enabled and it's going to run on Bitcoin. 
Uh, I don't I don't think the nation state it lasts that long. Uh, at the moment, we're seeing incredible stress at the nation state level. The EU, as you know, uh, is in jeopardy of breaking up. It doesn't look very good over there. And the European Central Bank is printing money like crazy and they're undermining the, the currency. Uh, the same thing in the United States, the Bank of England is continuing to uh, fall apart after their their Brexit mishap. So that's not going well either. Uh, the, the state really has only one uh, play. It's the one trick pony, and that, that's to print money. Well, every single catastrophe that happens, they always just print more money. And the fact that, and this gets into the inflation debate, the inflation has been there, but hidden through hedonic adjustments and through a lot of other, like sending America, sent all of its factories and jobs to China for a couple of decades that kind of hid the inflation that was going on. But now here we are in 2021 and that inflation can't be hidden anymore. And it's starting to show up for real. And people are saying, you know what? These prices are out of control. So now people are existentially threatened and they're saying, how do I protect myself? And and that's what's driving Bitcoin adoption because big people understand that the fiat money world, which is state money, we're seeing it collapse. There's no savior. David, as you know, the central banks have put themselves in a horrible corner where they are, they are in a position where raising rates is no longer an option. As you know, I'm sure this is not a surprise. Raising rates is no longer an option given the amount of fiat money and debt in the system. Even a 10 basis point raise in rates would be catastrophic. Let me, let me put it to you this way, David. The reason Bitcoin's is $65,000 per coin right now is because it's telling us that the fiat money world is already in a hyperinflationary collapse against Bitcoin. That's what the price is telling us. Markets give us price signals. It's up to us to, to, be, to have the humility to accept what that signal is. Bitcoin at 60, 65,000 a coin is telling us that fiat money is collapsing against Bitcoin. That's what the price is telling us. If you don't see that, woe to you. You're in a world of pain. Just before you go, where do you think it it goes from here, price-wise? I've said in 2021, back in January, my target was 220,000. And then uh, going forward, it will achieve a market capitalization of gold, which would imply 500,000 a coin before it starts to eat into the bond market. So there's a, Bitcoin is going to eat the global monetary network, which is worth over $100 trillion. So the upside, I I always say that Bitcoin has no top because fiat money has no bottom. We will leave it there. Max, as always, pleasure. Talk to you soon. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's good to talk with you as always. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Well, Max is certainly uh, evangelical about Bitcoin, isn't he? He is, he is, he is. Look, he's, he's great, he's great uh, mileage. I think that, I think that one of the, best things that any human ever says at any stage in his or her life is, I don't know. And that leaves you open to be persuaded by everything. Yeah. You know, it's, it's when you say, I don't know, then you're learning, right? And I think something like Bitcoin, initially I was very skeptical. No, I didn't, I didn't give a shite, actually. I wasn't yes. very skeptical yeah, yeah, yeah. at all. I actually yeah. didn't care. You right? unmoved. I was unmoved. This was, this was, and I thought, yeah, okay. You know. But he's making a huge number of assumptions. Yes. Like, the EU is falling apart and... Which is nonsense. It's the end of the Bank of England and central banks in general and, you know, and also his thing about the tech-savvy youth, but we're not going to go there. Yeah, but but he's also been right that Bitcoin has begun to seep into popular consciousness. It has been owned by many millions of people. Yeah. It is still a minority sport, but that doesn't mean it's wrong. And it's also that idea that two things can be right at the same time, you know? Yeah. That Schrodinger's kitten. It can have, yeah. So basically it can have a role in society, but it doesn't mean that it actually takes over from actual money. It can run in parallel with actual money. There, there is an element of a bet on apocalypse. And that's at, towards the end, those views in the nation state those views. I mean, Max is right. The nation state is relatively new. What came before it and was much more stable for many, many years, of course, were empires. Yeah. The question is, do we go back to empires? Right? That's mm. Because that's what the most, for the vast majority of human history, we've been organized around empires, not around nation states. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, right? yeah. And you just happen to end up in an empire. And if you were, you know, unlucky, that empire turned on you. And if you were lucky, you just managed to say, well, we're, we're here for the crack and just leave us alone for a while. But... <laughs> So there's a, there's a lot there to be I think it speaks, analyzed. I think it speaks volumes, though, you know, in fairness to Max, when a nation state like China gets very nervous and shuts down all Bitcoin mining. Yeah, right. and his interpretation is interesting. The interpretation, the mainstream interpretation is that was, well, this is the end of Bitcoin because a big state like China doesn't want mining and consequently doesn't want any transactions of Bitcoin within its Chinese sovereign area. Yeah. But his retort is, yeah, okay, fine, they shut it down and it reemerged somewhere else. And in actual fact, Bitcoin production didn't change that much. It was a small blip in production. And now they're back to their machines whirring away, uh, making these coins of which there's, I think, 20 million have already been. Uh, but there's a limit though, isn't there? Yeah, 21 million, I think. 21 million. And so so we're nearly at that point of full capacity. Yeah, the, the, the only major problem that as an economist you would have with Bitcoin is the following, which is that 
anything that is finite cannot serve as money. So you think, for example, gold. Gold is finite. Mm. It doesn't serve as money. It serves as a store of money. It's a property of a property. But what actual money needs to do is expand along with the labor force. And so, for example, if you have, and this is my analytical problem with Bitcoin, is that baked into Bitcoin is deflation. And I'll explain that. So if you have 100 Bitcoins, that means that as long as the population of the world doesn't increase, yeah. uh, that there'll be enough money to go around. Just imagine it's a pro rata. Yeah, okay. But what happens is that as the population of the world increases, and it is going to continue to do so, what happens is the amount of Bitcoins per head decreases. So you get deflation is built into that type oh, of, it's baked into yeah. that type of yeah. system. So what actually happens in, in normal money is the money supply expands, usually in line with population growth or yeah. whatever, right? We're at, the, we're, we're at a strange place at the moment because of all this printed money, but in general. And if you want, therefore, to expand the money supply to bolster economic growth or to maintain economic growth, it needs to grow at the same pace, at least, as population. So I have a problem with something that's got deflation baked into it, because what will then happen is the economy will contract unnecessarily, right? And this is one of the big problems, is that the sound money advocates don't seem to understand or don't seem to appreciate that there is a trade-off between scarcity and value. What makes money valuable is its reuse, yeah. its usability, right? So what makes, for example, lots of things valuable is the fact they're scarce. What makes money valuable is the fact that it's abundant. And the more we use it, this is the network effect. Yeah. The more we use it, the more valuable it is. And something like Bitcoin or any crypto, which has got an absolute finite amount out there, will have this problem that it won't be used sufficiently and the economy associated with it will slow down, which is why I believe that it can live in parallel with yeah. others. I don't think you need the apocalyptic conclusion that nation states are on the way out, yeah. hyperinflation's around the corner, and we're going to go into a mad max territory. And in that mad max territory, only those people with the funny eyes, you know, the Bitcoiners <laughs> got the funny eyes, will actually be uh, able to trade. I, 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 don't, I don't see that happening. So what you're saying there is that because of the limitations of Bitcoin, it becomes a store of wealth, so it's not spent. Yeah, it's, so there's no velocity of. It'll of, become hoarded. That's the yes. problem. And, yeah, yeah. And, and 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 you know. And therefore useless. Useless, yeah, because I mean, you know, a, a, a money that actually its face value is many, 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 many times its actual real cost becomes hoarded. Yeah. There's a thing called Gresham's law in economics, which is that. The bad money always elbows out the good. And this comes from years ago when kings used to debase currency. And what happened was the kings would debase the currency. So there'd be a coin that would have 100% gold and a coin that would say, let's say, 70% gold. Yes. Right? What actually happened is that people wanted to spend the debased currency quicker, Right. So what you found was that as you debased the currency, the debased currency was used more and more and more. 
and the actual currency was hoarded. So the bad money elbowed out the good. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's how it's human nature. So you try to spend the shite stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And keep the Off-loaded. good stuff. Offloaded quick. Exactly. And I think that's what's going to happen here is that it will, cryptocurrency will exist in parallel to real currency, but it's highly likely to be much more of a store of value than mm. what we call in economics a medium of exchange accepted by everybody. Thanks again to all our Patreons. And of course, on Patreon, you get ad-free, you get the course, you get AdMax. And the course is a 14-lecture tour around the world of money, past, present, future, the whole thing. You get the notes, you get the reading list, all that. It's all on patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams.